Welcome to the Risky Business Podcast. Uh, this podcast is an in-depth look at country risk around the world. Uh, in part, it is um, based upon the TXF country risk ratings. You can go to those ratings if you click on at www.txfnews.com slash country risk. I'm here with Rebecca Harding. Now, uh, Rebecca has been working with us for a while to develop a a country risk index, and we were talking about that a little bit today. Best place to start, I think, is with the methodology. Can you tell us a little bit about what's behind it and how you've worked this out and how it's different to what else is in the market? So the idea of political risk has been around for a long time, and geopolitical and country risk has been around forever. And I think the most important thing here that we've done is we've actually taken taken a lot of the indices that are already out there, created an index of all of those indices that are already out there, added in a layer of research. Um, So we've added in um, institutions that aren't normally covered in these indices and data that isn't normally covered in these indices. We've added a trade layer and then we've also added a sentiment indicator so that we're able to track very short-term risks, medium-term risks and longer-term risks as well. Okay, and can you give us an example of how how that rating looks? You know, so uh, what country rating would you give? How does it move up and down? Uh, And what does that mean? So we give a a risk rating against nine indicators. So those nine indicators include things like um, political regime, uh, the regime type, threat of repression, terrorism, the terrorist threat, and the impact that terrorism is actually having on policy. We've also included foreign policy risk and we've included trade as an element in all of that as well because one of the things that we're beginning to see, and this is very different, is that trade is being used as a tool in foreign policy as well. Um, And then it includes some of the other standard things that you would see um, like corruption and so on. So what we do is we um, we collect data for all of those nine areas and we give a separate ranking for each of those. So some countries countries will come out relatively low on some kinds of ranking and higher on others. So we then rank them um, and the combined risk index is calculated for each country that we have in in the um, system at the moment and it's calculated and we we then rank the risks, um, the total risk and the risks on each of the separate indicators. Okay, well, let's just take a couple of examples just so that everyone's clear. So if I, if I look at Ukraine, which has uh, a risk rating of uh, 504.61, mm-hmm. and that is a change of 2.97 negative uh, from 2016-17. And then I look at something like, uh, let's say, the United States, which has a risk of 105.93. And that sort of had a positive movement of 22.76 over over the, the last year. Uh, can you tell me, what, what does that mean? So Ukraine has um, several areas which are actually relatively stable. So it's not a repressive regime, for example, um, and... It's not, um, it's not a regime that's going to change very much. Um, 
it has a high risk of ex- higher risk of external conflict. But the biggest things that are bothering Ukraine and um, obviously the, the the biggest risks in Ukraine are foreign relations, so particularly relations with Russia, um, and internal conflict. So there's a lot of um, strife, if you like, between uh, the various parts of Ukraine as a region. A lot of that is centred around uh, the build-up of troops along its borders and the Donbass region itself. Now, those rankings are very, very high because Ukraine has been under some kind of threat for a long time now. Um, and it's it's its risks are increasing in those areas. But in some areas, for example, levels of repression, the risks have actually gone down. So Ukraine has stayed relatively static. It's fallen back in risk terms very, very marginally over the last year. But the level of foreign policy risk and the level of internal conflict risk remains very high. Now, for the US, in contrast, to have gone to a position where it's seen as risky or more risky might seem quite extraordinary. It's a stable government. It has a it has a um, it has a very low level of corruption. Its levels of repression are very low as well. But the big things that have changed in the last year are things like um, the the foreign policy risk, and a lot of that has come from um, the the way in which uh, Trump has gone about negotiating on a more bilateral rather than a multilateral and rules-based basis. So the two are comparing high risks um, in different types of in different types of um, formats in the in the different countries and that's how we derive the rankings. Okay, and I could see the the lowest risk that we have is Luxembourg with a 10.64 I believe. But uh, and what I mean, what's the maximum risk? I mean, what would Venus be? <laughs> so, if you think you have um nine nine indicators and you go up to 100, so the highest risk is 900. It's 900. Okay. Well, one thing I noticed is that you have uh, Venezuela with a, a risk ranking of uh, 216.71. And Mexico with a risk ranking of three hundred twenty six point two one. Now, in layman's terms, I'd expect Venezuela to be of higher risk than Mexico, uh, whereas this data seems to say uh, the opposite. Seems to say that Mexico's uh, higher. What what accounts for that? So, actually, Venezuela is quite interesting because. Everybody knows that it's an extremely unstable regime, that um, that there's a lot of corruption that goes on in Venezuela. And those are the things that hit the headlines in Venezuela all the time. In actual fact, in terms of the threat of terror, in terms of external conflict, in terms of the impact of terror on policy, it's very low risk. Um, if you then look at foreign policy risk, it's actually quite low risk as well. So a lot of the areas of Venezuela policy and and the context that business operates in within Venezuela is very low risk. Now, if you then look at the regime type and you look at corruption, obviously, would you put your money into Venezuela knowing what you do about corruption? The corruption index is up above 80%. So a a figure of 80. So that's extremely high indeed. So you need to look down underneath those overall rankings. If in contrast, you look at Mexico, um, Mexico, again, the reason why it has such a high ranking is because it's higher risk um, in terms of internal conflict, foreign relations, level of repression and corruption. So those indicators are are higher. So it's just the law of averages, if you like, across all the indicators. Mexico 
Tesco is in a position at the moment where its risks are 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 higher. And I think I think there's a very important point here. Mexico is transitioning at the moment, so the new government in Mexico um, has a challenge ahead of it to throw out um, the 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 war on drugs, um, to tackle the drugs problems, drug cartels. Also has a big challenge to address issues of corruption in the regime, and also has a huge foreign policy risk, which is um, its relationship with the United States at the moment. So there are a lot of known risks in Mexico. In some senses, that's that's that makes it higher risk, but in some senses, it also makes those risks easier to manage. Okay, and and in, and finally, in terms of a. Yeah, just looking in terms of you're you're anal- uh, analyzing this on a one month and three months level. I mean, what what is a uh, what is the maximum sort of level of swing you you ever tend to see in a sort of particular sort of country, and what accounts for that? Well, so we've seen a huge swing in Denmark this time, um, and I think that's very interesting because it's actually been pressure that's been building for the last year. So a year ago, the risk ranking was very low in Denmark, and it's actually gone up by uh, by over 200% this time. And the reason why is not Denmark has suddenly become a very risky place. It's that the pressures of populism that we've seen have actually created a government policy, which now is, and I use the word very advisedly, but it's the word they're using in Denmark, is ghettoizing migrants. Um, so that, is actually, that policy has been um, has been um, likened to Nazism in the press. Um, it's 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 threatening the internal stability of Denmark because it's putting migrants into specific geographical areas within towns and cities. Um, and it's has and, and it's actually about the cultural um, the cultural education of migrants in the Danish way of doing things as well. So there are a lot of things with that that have been building as a response to terror, as a response to populism. And that's something that 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 you know we keep our eye on over a longer period of time. So you you can see these pressures building. And you can see quite a lot of that actually in the Baltic states at the moment. Yeah, and we're taking that Denmark example. Uh, so that, I mean, it, it sounds like a lot of it's sort of sentiment analysis looking mm-hmm. at the press. How does that then sort of uh, become a metric that you, you then study? Is it certain words that you look for and you count how many times they're used? Or, or um, yeah, so the sentiment metric is looking at the word count um, and it's looking at the patterns. So it's using an artificial intelligence system to look at the patterns behind the words that are um, that are being used in the media. So it's not just a count of the words, it's actually the patterns in word usage along with other words. So you might have the word ghetto, the word migrant and the word conflict together or uh, the word ghetto, the word migrant and the word separation or separatist or populism. And so we're looking at those bundles of words together which then um, creates a, 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 a shorter term risk metric. But, but to go back to this, we also stabilise that with a longer term set of metrics. So underneath that artificial intelligence AI um, metric is something very simple, which is this very stable index of indices. And we've been seeing populism across Europe actually rise and in some countries turn into turn into something now. So actually the predictive powers of this are quite are quite strong. 
Mm. And of those nine categories that you cover, is there any weighting given to certain categories over others? Uh, no, we weight them equally. And I think I think that's very important because um, if you're doing any type of uh, quantitative work, if you're trying to come up with any kind of metric, um, it's very important to keep those things absolutely stable um, and not put your own value judgments in. And, and in a sense, that answers your question on Venezuela because, um, because what we've done is we've weighted each of those threats at a national level equally. Um, and so we're not saying corruption in Venezuela needs to have a higher weighting than, say, um, corruption in Mexico. The weighting is equal across the whole, across the whole piece. And just a reminder, you can go to txfnews.com slash country risk for a detailed analysis and data on all the countries mentioned on today's podcast. 